Welcome to You, Me, Empathy, a safe place for leading with your heart. Hey, thanks for being here. You, Me, Empathy is the official podcast of the Feely Human Collective, a collaborative mental health community designed to empower each of us to grow our capacity for empathy, vulnerability, and emotional wayfinding. Just a friendly reminder that this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. You can support the show by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts, following us on social media at Yumi Empathy and Feely Human, and joining the Feely Human Collective community at feelyhuman.co. And now your host, Known Wells. Hello, feely humans. Welcome to another episode, a special episode, your favorite episode of Yumi Empathy. This is episode 200. Woo! I can't believe we are here. Episode 200. It feels surreal. It feels so lovely. I am trying, trying to give myself joy and credit and, uh, you know, the celebration that I deserve. This is a a meaningful accomplishment. I feel good about it, uh, but also I want to shift it all to you, you feely humans. I mean, truly, this show wouldn't be what it is without you and without your presence and without your heart and without your willingness to go there in your feelings, in your empathy, in your vulnerability. Thank you. Thank you for being here. If you've been with me from the beginning all the way back in January 2018, you've been uh, you've been on a ride, a, a feely ride, if you will. I would go to that theme park with just so many feely rides. I know you would too. Thank you for being here. Thank you for uh, being a part of my journey and my healing. And I hope, hope I hope that this show has been uh, healing for you too. It's why I created it. Uh, I I created this to be the safe space I never had growing up to create and foster safety to be witness and present for the beauty of our stories to grow our individual and collective powers of empathy, vulnerability, and emotional curiosity for our hearts and for the hearts of others. And speaking of others, this is a special episode, episode 200. So I I reached out to my community. I reached out to previous guests and other feely human friends of the show. And I have uh, 16 different folks, really 17 total folks on the show today. It's uh, each of them are basically I asked them to provide a mental health or empathy tip or strategy, something that they use personally, something that is close to their heart. And uh, they came through with uh, bright and shining colors, as I knew they would. So this episode is just chock full of wonderful tips on mental health and empathy. And remember that, like, to each their own, we each sort of have our own path. But I hope some of these will be useful for you. I just want to shout out the fact that um, I have, uh, I'll just, I'll just name the feely humans that are sharing today, which are, uh, Minion Fogarty. Uh, she talks about walking and walking and walking. David Grabowski on finding calm and yoga. Janet Fouts on learning to feel the feels with perspective. Whitney Lauritsen and Jason Robel on curiosity, listening and letting yourself be. Jason Garner on not judging ourselves. Jen Winker on being wholly present for a friend in grief. Jessica Murnane on nice shows, Katya Litsky on being of service, Kai Plant on celebrating the weirdness that makes you, you, Manya Chalinsky on self-talk, Mari Andrew on staying in the trenches with our empathy, Rebecca Monique on Buddhist guidelines for speech and mental filters, Rebecca Haas on walking to untangle your brain. Shelby Forsythia on using prepositional phrases to remind ourselves the feeling won't last forever. Sherry Heller on creating an altar in your home. And finally, Tamar Chansky on why resilient people are not resilient all the time. That's uh, that's what we cover. Plus, so much more. Uh, each, each guest uh, speaks for a few minutes, and uh, I hope you love it. I hope you love this special 200th episode of You Me Empathy. 
If you've been here, please, and you haven't left a review, please leave one, a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. I'm trying to get to 200 ratings. Um, I was trying to get to 200 ratings before we reached 200. We didn't get there. We got a few more, which I'm excited by, but we're not there yet. So if you haven't left a rating and review for You Me Empathy, please do that. It just takes a couple of moments. Uh, thank you for doing that. And as always, the show notes for this podcast are at feelyhuman.co, which is also where you can write for the Feely Human Journal. You can sign up for my evergreen Feely Human 101 workshop. We've got more workshops coming soon, one in December from Rebecca Haas, who's a guest on this show. Uh, that's coming up in December. I might do another Illustrating Empathy workshop and more fun stuff coming your way in uh, the new year, 2022. So let's get to the episode. Let's get to this wonderful 200th episode with all of my lovely feely human friends. This is episode 200, Empathy Strategies and Mental Health Tips. Enjoy. It's Mignon Fogarty from the Grammar Girl podcast. Congratulations on your 200th episode. That's a huge accomplishment. And I'm so happy for you and especially for the people who get to listen to you and learn so much. My mental health tip is so simple. I'm almost embarrassed to share it, but here it goes. I walk. I walk and walk and walk. And I've realized that when I don't walk, my mental health goes downhill really fast, like faster than I can walk down a hill. I didn't start walking every day until the pandemic, but then it seemed like almost the only thing we could do, and I came to love it so much that we actually moved, in part to be able to take better, more beautiful walks. I try to go for long walks both in the morning and after dinner. I don't always get to do two, but one long walk every day is non-negotiable. Every day, it keeps me grounded. Thanks for all you do, and congratulations again. Known, first of all, just wanted to wish you a mighty hearty congratulations on 200 episodes of You Me Empathy. That is freaking awesome, man, and couldn't be prouder of you. Um, here is my quick mental health tip. So, for about a decade now, I've been saying pretty much consistently, I really need to do yoga. Wow, I really need to do yoga. Oh my God, my quads are so tight, my hamstrings are so tight, my butt's so tight. I really need to do yoga. And the more that I actually do yoga, I feel like the happier I feel and the more able I am to find calm. And I think it ultimately just comes down to moving the body, uh, tuning into the body and kind of grounding myself in my body. Uh, and I find it extremely effective. I, uh, I would just encourage anyone who feels so inclined to stretch to get on the mat to to breathe with intention and uh give it a shot because i find it i've i've have found it to be life-changing so anyway love you bud congratulations again and keep up the amazing job that you're doing i like people and getting to know them but sometimes it's just too much i feel things from people i sense emotions body language expressions and i feel the feels that's not always easy. It can mean taking in pain, anguish, despair, wanting so badly to fix whatever it is and make them feel better. But I learned the hard way that trying to fix everything and holding all that pain has a cost. And I got burned out. Over time and with practice, I learned how to embrace empathy and still protect my heart from how deep I got into those feelings 
how much I carried them around with me. I learned to feel the feels and then step back just a little bit to get perspective. Having empathy doesn't mean taking the pain of the other person on for our own. But sometimes we get so caught up in wanting to help that we let our own emotions take precedence over the person who's really experiencing it. We can get so caught up in the feelings that we miss the importance of recognizing that pain that it isn't actually ours to hold. When we step back just a bit and get perspective, we're in a better position to be there for that person, acknowledging it, offering or even asking rather than telling how we can help. Next time you feel all the feels, step back a bit and you may see what I mean. Hey there, I'm Jason Robel. And I'm Whitney Lauritsen. Together, we host the podcast, This Might Get Uncomfortable. And we are here to share a little tip for you regarding empathy and mental health today. Uh, I think one of the challenges and opportunities when speaking about mental and emotional wellness to other people is it's really easy to assume, I found that my experience will mirror theirs in the sense that you know, we'll get a direct message or an email, whether it's about the podcast or our own personal challenges with depression, anxiety, suicidal ideation, the things that we've gone through. It's really easy to respond and sort of memify the way that we support one another. Well, here, here's an inspirational quote, or um, here's a meme I found about mental health, or um, this is what worked for me, so it ought to work for you. But I think the challenge and the opportunity in this wit is, is that it's nuanced. We know that mental health, emotional wellness is an extremely nuanced experience for each individual. And I think the opportunity for empathy here is by being a better listener. It's really easy to want to dispense advice right away. Hey, you should get this neurotransmitter test or take this GABA supplement or try this thing to increase you know, your dopamine. But we got to really lean into the details of what a person's going through. And I think curiosity is the key there. And I also think it's an opportunity, as you're saying, Jason, to truly just listen and hold space for someone versus trying to solve the problem. That is something that I've had to learn over time as a somebody that feels compelled to fix things. If we look at it that way, then people feel like they're flawed. They feel like they're a problem that has to be fixed. And that's not really true. Being a human being is so complex. Sometimes people just want to know that you care about them, that you love them, that you're there for them. They don't need you to find a solution. And through that, you can actually extend the greatest amount of empathy and perhaps be the most healing part of their experience is not judging it, not trying to solve it, but just being there. Yeah, witnessing a person's experience is some of the most powerful medicine, whether that I think is through working with a therapist, calling a trusted friend or family member. I know when I'm having an episode and I'm really struggling, the most potent medicine that I can receive is not being told what I should do or a new experiment or a new drug or plant medicine. It's honestly just being held, whether that's energetically being held or if I'm physically present with a person, literally being held, for me, is sometimes the most healing process just to be seen and held with love in silence. And I suppose the simplest way to explain this tip is is reminding ourselves that it's okay not to be okay. And it's also okay if other people in your life are not okay. It's just acceptance and love and just taking it moment by moment, case by case. And like you were saying, Jason, it's, it's not, it's not a formula that you can follow to feeling better. We're just all going through life in all different ways. And I think that collectively brings us together when we realize that a lot of other people are struggling too. So lastly, I would say that opening up to others in a safe place, such as a podcast community gives you an opportunity to connect with one another and know that you're not the only one struggling and you can take turns listening to each other and just letting yourself be. Hi, good afternoon. It's Jason Garner. 
Thanks for the opportunity to share again with you and your audience. I think the most important tip that I have learned on my journey is to not judge ourselves and to not make ourselves and our lives wrong. And I think there's this subtle way in a lot of spiritual practice that we do that. I mean, we use all the right terms and we say all the right things, but underneath it is kind of this sense of I am doing this to fix myself. I'm doing this to fix my life. I'm doing this spiritual practice as an antidote to the simple experience of being human, which means that we're not perfect, which means that we're going to fall down, which means that we're going to do things that we later say, wow, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I've learned something new. I want to do it differently. And so I think it's important that when we come to spiritual practice, when we come to meditation, when we come to health, um, that we do so from a place of wanting to listen to our body, of wanting to get in touch with ourselves, from a place of intimacy. And so, for example, in meditation, while there may be a tendency to judge thoughts or to judge sensations that come up, we can simply sit and we can be intimate with the experience of being ourselves. The way we might, like if we were reading a book or we're meeting a new person and we're getting to know them, And then suddenly the thoughts and sensations and things that are going on that we might wish weren't there, we might wish that we're just, you know, blissed out, they become quite interesting and we can be curious and we can explore them. And we can really bring a sense of love and compassion to our practice. And I think that love and compassion, when we, when we make our practice center around that, uh, we find that we start to develop that sort of loving compassionate relationship with ourselves but not just that then it goes out into the world right and then we start to see these changes that we desire when we approach it from the place of trying to fix of trying to quiet of trying to make something happen there actually often is this kind of sense of violence to it and It's the type of violence that most of us don't want to see in the world. And yet when we explore our own practice, we often are quite violent with, with ourselves. And so one of the things I like to say is, you know, don't try to quiet your mind, just observe your mind. Because the act of quieting it often comes with violence. You know, that thought of, oh, I'm going to kill my ego, even the words we use, right? Um, versus the, the sense of, I want to get to know my ego. I want to get to know this chatter in my mind. I want to understand what it is that my mind, my ego is trying to protect me from, was trying to help me with. And then we really start to develop a quite loving relationship with ourselves, with our practice. And then, as I said, I, I think that tends to extend out into the world. So I, I hope that that's helpful. I send um, big hugs and um, thank you. Hey, feely humans, it's Jen from At Mortality Inc. here with an empathy tip on that subject that very few like to discuss, death. Before I start, I want to congratulate Known on 200 episodes of this amazing podcast. I am so proud of you, Known, and I'm grateful to be part of the Feely Human Collective. You really have created something beautiful and wondrous. Back to the inevitable and heavy topic that most people avoid discussing, death. At some point in our lives, we will know death. Whether it's our own or that of someone we love, it's unavoidable. So I'm here with a feely tip on how to tap into your empathy so when someone dies, you can be the person in everyone's life who's not afraid to talk about it. You can be that amazing friend who shows up and holds space for a fellow human who is grieving. Step one, ground yourself. Before engaging with someone experiencing grief, take a few deep breaths. Feel the ground at your feet. Feel the breath entering your body and leaving your body. And notice how you're feeling. 
If you've got emotional space to provide support for someone else, proceed to step two. If you're not able to be there for your friend, it's okay. Set a boundary for yourself. Check in later when you're more able to center someone else's pain. Once you're ready, step two. Repeat this phrase to yourself. I cannot fix this, but I can offer support. I cannot fix this, but I can offer support. One reason to avoid someone who's recently experienced a death is that we have no idea how to support them or what to say to them. No words can undo the loss or the pain, but the best news is you don't need to know the right words because they just don't exist. But merely your presence, your care, your concern, and your love can make a huge difference in helping someone feel supported through loss, not deeper alone in their grief. That in itself is powerful. You don't need to fill the awkward silence. Save room for the griever to speak, or just sit silently with them in that hard space. Step three, what you can say. If you knew the person who died, sharing fond memories is a beautiful way to connect to someone grieving. Talk about shared experiences or mention some unique characteristics you remember fondly about the person who died. Remember how Uncle Bob always loved butter pecan ice cream and how he drove through the snowstorm that one time just to buy some for Aunt Elaine's birthday? It's okay to laugh, cry, get mad. All feelings are valid, especially in grief. Here are some examples of what you can say that's more meaningful than a blanket. Sorry for your loss. There are no words for how hard this must be. But if you want to talk about it, I'm here to listen. Or, my heart is with you. I'm sorry for your suffering. I'm sorry for your heartbreak. I'm holding so much love and support for you right now. Or, this sucks. I don't even know what to say. Except this sucks, and I'm so sorry. Being honest in that way can sometimes really help you connect with someone. Because nobody really knows what to say is the bottom line. You can also try, if you didn't know the person who died, you can always say, I'm sorry for the loss of your grandmother, Ethel. Okay, I'm going to pause it here. Here are some examples of what you can say that's more meaningful than a blanket. Sorry for your loss. There are no words for how hard this must be, but if you want to talk about it, I'm here to listen. Or, my heart is with you. I'm sorry for your heartbreak. I'm holding so much love and support for you right now. I'd love to hear more about them when you're ready. Or, this sucks. I don't even know what to say, except this sucks. I'm so sorry you're going through this. Being honest in this way can really help you connect with someone because the bottom line is that no one really knows what to say. And that's okay. Step four, take care of yourself. Nurture yourself a little after you've supported a grieving friend. Eat a cookie, take a nature walk, pet a doggy. Do something to give yourself a little comfort. You deserve it. Sitting with death and grief is hard, but being alone in grief is even harder. Thank you for holding space around death. It is not easy. I'm proud of you. Sitting with death and grief is hard, but being alone in grief is even harder. Thank you for holding space around death. It is not easy. I'm proud of you. It's Jessica Murnan. And I think one of my biggest empathy tips is something I call nice shows. Nice shows do not have any sort of violence, scary clowns, sad stories, murder plots. They're just feel-good, nice shows. Some of my favorites right now are The Great Pottery Throwdown, which is basically The Great British Bake Off, but with pottery. I love Never Have I Ever. I love 
anything that makes me feel happy and not in the show feeling sad or angry. And I'm not always perfect this, but for the past few years, I've really gone on a media diet. I've really changed the things that I'm consuming because I think as an empath, we know things like staying away from energy vampires. We know that certain conversations aren't going to make us feel good, so we don't always have them. But I think sometimes we forget about the TV, the books, the magazines, the podcasts that we're consuming, because it's hard. I think right now in our culture, those are the most popular types of media, media that involves violence and sadness, and those just don't make me feel good. So I've traded in Game of Thrones for high school dramas and shows that my friends think are a little bit cheesy, but I don't really care because they make me happy and it just makes my empath ways way easier. That's my tip. And if you need a list of nice shows, feel free to DM me. Hi, dear friend known. It's your pal Katya Litsky here. Well, I'm really glad that you posed this question about, you know, empathy tips or mental health tips. Um, and I'm going to just share with you for a minute what helps me the most when I'm feeling anxious, when I'm feeling spiraling and kind of sucked into my OCD, and when I'm feeling totally out of balance with my um, my empathy, or my sympathy, or my compassion, or my when my call it codependency, <laughs> um, I definitely have those traits in me and I am responsible for my own mental health and well-being and sense of balance. And the ways that I can do that today um, are one, to be of service. Being of service is like the quickest and best way that I can immediately like find a sense of center again. Who can I give to? How much can I give and still feel, um, you know, like my needs are being met? For me, it's usually animals that I want to give to. Um, and, uh, also people, but I feel very connected to animals and being of service to them immediately brings me closer to a sense of something greater than me. And that humbles me and that humility helps me breathe again. Um, the other thing that I love to do is to write and write and tell myself immediately, like, this is not for anything. This writing is for nothing other than just to, like, get it out, move it around, because feelings are meant to move. And um, I don't want them to be stuck. I want to give them some space to dance and do their thing and give me information and then let them go on their merry way. And I find that writing helps me lean into my feelings so that it's like, okay, yeah, there's the anxiety or the OCD or the, you know, immense, immense tenderness for someone or something going on in the world. And instead of like trying to fight it and push it away, which really will take me down, I just like lean into it and be with it. Like, yep, that's there. That is there. You're welcome to hang out. I'm going to try to go on with my day. And um, kind of make peace with it, like make a friend of it, if if you will. Um, and the last thing I'm going to share is that I want to say like meditate and and yoga and like all the all the spiritual stuff. And like I, I sometimes that helps. Um, I want to say like get a pedicure or have a beautiful meal or a very nice you know, cup of tea, hot tea. And sometimes that helps. And what I'm getting that is at, what I'm getting at is that being responsive to myself is the absolute best way I can take care of myself, both mentally, emotionally, you know, and in, and in all ways, to be honest. So it's just asking myself, what do I need this time? What do I need today? And then allowing it to be different and unique and whatever it is, and then honoring it as like a want, a need, um, a feeling that I get to have. 
and um, I try to be really responsive and how I can love myself one day at a time. Anyways, thanks for making this beautiful space and for letting me be part of it. Hello, friend. I normally would never give unsolicited advice to someone, especially uh, someone who's struggling, Um, but I'm just going to assume that you're listening to this episode because you want advice, and so maybe you're asking for it. So I'll just say, okay, all right, person out there who I've never met and I have no idea who you are, you want some advice from me, do ya? Well, all right. Uh, First free advice is always be as as silly as you possibly can because this world is uh, cold and heartless and uh, is very painful at times. So I would say if, if possible and when possible, nurture that creativity, that silliness, that weirdness, the, the thing that makes you you. And I, I think probably in most cases that would be kind of challenging but I will say that uh, for myself, that has been a very big part of my journey is to step into the uncomfortable and the awkward and and just uh, dance in it and be friends with it. And uh, free advice number two is um, if you can, get in touch with your body and, and start to understand its language and it's very subtle and very complex and very obvious ways of uh, communicating things. For example, like uh, when I have all of this like tension in my tummy, I know it's because I'm feeling scared. And sometimes I want to pretend that I'm not feeling scared, but like my body's like, uh, Kai, you are definitely feeling scared. What the, f- what? I'm oh, sorry, I'm trying not to swear. What the heck do you think you're doing? look, this is me feeling scared. You can't pretend you're not. And then I'm like, yeah, but I'm not my body. I'm this other thing. I'm this brain thing. This, wait, what am I? Oh no. And that, well, and and then it kind of all falls apart. And then you realize that like nothing is real and everything is illusion. And if you go that far, then I would say embrace the chaos and uh, welcome the dance of uh, absurdity. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which is <laughs> to be alive and to have human consciousness. And uh, this isn't a great mental health tip because I'm basically just saying that like nothing is real and uh, it's all an illusion. But if that feels comforting for you, which it does for me, uh, maybe that is helpful. All right. Free tip number three is um, don't listen to adults for for sure. And trust me, I'm not an adult. Like I am technically an adult but i'm not in my heart i'm a child and i always will be and uh i love that about me because i'm very playful and i'm very creative and very silly and uh any part of me that's like oh no i gotta be doing this i gotta be doing adult stuff then i'm like all right adult me uh could you step to the side because i think it's time to play and I know that's not very helpful advice for someone who's trying to navigate the capitalist system that has to like put parts of themselves in a box to try and pretend that they're like, I'm an adult and I'm capable of doing things. I know that's not great advice, but um, it's still the advice that I would give at least younger me, which is to just be like, all right, feel feel your emotions, feel the sensations in your body, be silly, be imaginative, be cre- creative, and uh, remember that this is... a uh, a a totally absurd experience that we're having. Like the fact that you're listening to this thing that I'm saying right now, you're listening to this in the future and some, some way you access this in the time space continuum and we're somehow connecting, even though we don't know each other at all, or well, maybe we know each other, but probably not. I mean, this is crazy. What are we doing here? What do we do? What is this planet? What is this planet? (laughs) Planet earth? Well, how did I get here? And then, you know, again, it falls apart and we realize that this is a simulation and, you know, none of us are actually real, but we're all somehow colliding in our simulation. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, I guess I don't have advice, uh, but I hope that you're doing all right, my friend, and I wish you well on your journey around the sun. Uh, Truly. Okay. (laughs) What a weird world. Hello, feely humans. This is Manya Chilinski. And my mental health tip 
something that has been really crucial to me in my journey is self-talk. And if you've ever walked past me when I'm walking down the street, you may have noticed my self-talk because sometimes I am doing it out loud. The thing that has worked for me the most when I'm dealing with anxiety in particular is reminding myself that I'm okay. And my mantra is, I'm uncomfortable, but I am safe. And I will repeat that as many times as I need to, or as many versions of that as I need to. This situation is making me feel blank. Enter the emotion here. Scared, anxious, confused, overwhelmed. And then I follow up with, but I am actually quite safe. And sometimes I will give myself specifics. I am standing in a beautiful park on a sunny day, looking at this river, listening to these birds. The more specific I get, the more grounded I feel and the safer I feel. So that is my tip. I think that is something, that is one of the tools that I go back to time and time again And it helps me feel grounded and it takes me out of my head and it gets me to a place where I'm feeling safe and then I can deal with whatever is happening around me. So I recently learned that there are types of empathizers. There are people who want to relate any story back to them. The I know exactly what you mean because something like that happened to me crowd There are people who can empathize, but do want to jump in to fix the situation. And there are people like me who are good listeners, but at the end of the listening session want to offer some wisdom or advice to make it all better. I think I'm really good at empathy because I genuinely do try to stay present with whatever my friend is going through and not find a quick fix. But I'm also trying to search for meaning or a way to offer some kind of insight into their situation. So I found that my most empathetic moments are when I don't try to bring anyone out of the trenches, but try to stay there with them for as long as they need. For someone like me, who wants to be a sage with a bag full of wisdom and significant and reminders about the bigger picture, we need to remember that we will never have the magic words to make sense of what is going on with someone ever. (laughs) And what people almost always need most is for someone to say, that sounds really hard and I'm here. Hello, Rebecca Monique here. A very happy 200th episode to you, me, empathy. It's great to be part of the journey. My empathy tip is an adaptation borrowed from Buddhist teachings on guidelines for speech. What I really like about this tool is that it employs the use of mental filters, which gives us a wonderful opportunity to practice pause and self-control. And this allows us to build our relational skills by responding rather than reacting. So here it is, and I'm paraphrasing. Before speaking, run your thoughts through these three gates. One, is it true? Two, is it necessary? And three, is it kind? So let's take a look at these individually. I'll offer some sub-questions to help guide your thinking. Gate number one, is it true? So we can ask ourselves questions like, am I relaying misinformation, my truth, or a proven fact? What am I expecting the person to do with this information? And either way, how is this information benefiting others? Gate number two, is it necessary? This is where we explore the importance of context. Is this advice or commentary solicited or unsolicited? I.e., have you been invited or given permission to provide this information or express your thoughts? Is this the right place, method, medium to share this? For example, some things are best said in person in order to avoid details such as tone being lost in translation. Taking privacy and confidentiality into account, it's also worth being aware of your surroundings. To what extent is what I want to communicate appropriate? So thinking about what you know to be true, what has happened in the past, and what is the potential impact. Is this the right time or can it wait? Sometimes we want to rush in with advice or information when an event has just happened, but it can be wise to leave a cooling off period so all parties involved can be in a state of social engagement and more grounded to communicate from a rational place. 
Am I the right person to be communicating this? Here, think about what your relationship is with that person and whether or not you have the credentials, reputation or status to be communicating this information. This one puts the spotlight on you. What is my real intention here? Is it centered around how you want to be perceived by others? How might you be trying to control the situation? How might your people-pleaser tendencies be kicking in? Interrogate your motives. And lastly, how useful is this for the other person? And the third gate, is it kind? How might my words be interpreted? Hurtful, shaming, encouraging, uplifting? How would I speak to a child, i.e. do my words reflect the same level of compassion? So those are the three gates. Is it true? Is it necessary? And is it kind? Lots to process through our mind before we open our mouth. As with most things, the more we practice filtering our thoughts through these three gates, the more intuitive it will become and the more harmonious and empathetic our interactions will be. I hope you found this useful. Once again, happy 200th episode. Here's to the next 200. Hey everyone, my name is Rebecca Haas and I'm a creative coach, pianist and composer and a very feely human and highly sensitive person. My number one mental health tip that's been super essential in my own life is taking a daily walk. When I first learned that I had anxiety about 11 years ago, I didn't really have many healthy habits in place. I didn't really exercise much. And I found that taking this walk would be a great SOS sort of strategy for those really anxious moments when that happened, I would just walk out the door and walk as fast as I could for as long as I needed to, to get my blood pumping, burn off some of that anxious energy, make some endorphins. But it's also been a daily practice for me since then. It's good for my physical health. It's good for my mental health. But in a more subtle way, it's also an essential practice for untangling my brain. I have a reminder that I set for 7am every day. So I see it when I wake up and it says, what do I need today? So I usually take my daily walk in the morning and that's my time to ponder that question, to kind of check in with myself to see how I'm feeling, see what my energy level is, and kind of think about how that might affect how I move through my day. The walk is also a great place for untangling creative issues that might be happening. I get my best ideas on walks and sometimes I've written entire blog posts or podcast episodes that way, which is an added bonus. But really this practice of taking this walk ensures that I always have some space for myself and I always at least have half an hour that is just for me. And that is also hugely hugely helpful for my mental health. And whether I can do it in nature or just around my neighborhood, it's always something I look forward to. So happy 200th episode to you, me, empathy. I'm so happy to be a part of this feely human community and thank you known for everything that you have done for all of us. Hi there, known and feeling humans listening everywhere. This is Shelby Forsythia, and I got to chat with known on episode 145 of You, Me, Empathy. My mental health tip is this. Use the power of prepositional phrases to reassure yourself that everything you're living in is not going to last forever. I think especially for people who are grieving, grieving a loss, grieving a divorce, grieving a diagnosis, uh, working with racial, environmental, queer grief, things that seem like they will never end, there can be this illusion that this grief or the emotions that you're having while you're experiencing it are going to last forever. And there can be a fear underneath that too, that if these emotions are going to last forever, then what does that make me? Who am I if I am constantly feeling X or if I am constantly trapped by Y or I can't stop thinking about Z? So something that I tell my one-on-one clients and even workshop participants that I work with is to use the prepositional phrase right now, whenever possible, to retell the story that you're giving yourself in your head about the reality of your circumstances right now. So something that would be an example of this would be, 
I'm feeling hopeless right now. I feel like this is never going to end right now. You can also expand this out to include other prepositional phrases as long as they are about the temporariness of time. So ones that I've been known to use in the past are in this season, for the time being, at the moment. And this is especially good when people ask you questions about what you're doing or what your future holds. So when are you going to start dating? Well, for the time being, I'm still really focused on the grief of losing Mike. Are you thinking about going to grad school soon? I'm not really sure. Right now, I'm keeping pretty close to home because I feel safest there. When are you going to sign up to do activism or volunteer with us? I'm uncertain about that, but what I do know is that in this season, my passions are about reading and consuming as opposed to being out on the streets. And offering yourself these prepositional permission slips right now, in this season, in this moment, for the time being, can really help you acknowledge that yes, while the emotional experience you're having right now seems as if it will go on forever, the reality is that our emotional landscape changes day by day, hour by hour, sometimes even second by second. It's literally impossible, if you are alive, to be, and we all are, (laughs) to be trapped in one emotional place for the entire rest of our lives forever and ever and ever. And so using this phrase right now can help free you from this illusion that you're stuck where you are, and you're never going to get out, and somehow it's all your fault, because it's not, and you're not, And this will all become unstuck because it must, because you are alive and because things are always changing. So this is where you are right now. And we'll see, we'll see about tomorrow. In my journey of recovery from complex trauma, I discovered that I could connect to a powerful healing and transformative source of sanctified energy without even leaving my house. And I achieved this by simply transforming a specific location in my home to a sacred space where I can pray, where I meditate, I reflect, I do ritual. And this consecrated space is known as an altar. And it's a long-held custom amongst many cultures and spiritual paths. This sacred spot can mirror all the facets of you that reflect the sacred, both within this earthly plane and beyond. Tapping into your creative and spiritual expression by designing and building an altar can offer a concrete representation of your life and who you are. For me, having this personal space where I can safely and intimately commune with a higher intelligence and retreat from the chaos of the world and return to my center is a source of tremendous comfort for me. And perhaps it can also be that for you. Hello, known and you meet empathy world, known, warmest congratulations on creating such a wonderful community. You totally rock. And I'm just going to jump in because I have too much to say. I am an anxiety therapist for those who don't know me. And one of the ways that so there's just the pandemic obviously has been just like anxiety marathons, just new levels of having to manage fear and uncertainty um, over and over. One of the things though, that I think I've experienced and I, you know, I've heard this from other people. So I I hope this is helpful is that I think there's a lot of expectation that even though, you know, the anxiety rate has tripled and the depression rate during the pandemic, that there's this expectation that we should, you know, be okay with things now, or, you know, we shouldn't be struggling now. And, let me just say that is so not true. Um, But that there's a lot of anxiety that comes from that mismatch of expectation. Maybe it's that American way, I don't know. And I know you have listeners from all over the world. So uh, maybe it is more of a human expectation that we should just be better at things. Um, And uh, so I want to say loud and clear, because this is something I've had to you know, think about for myself that resilient people are, you know, aren't resilient all the time. They still have hard times. They, you know, they, me, you (laughs) stay in bed, watch Netflix, you know, feel hopeless, um, 
feel exhausted, you know, don't uh, do things on time, don't, you know, aren't saving the world, being productive. And that's still, you can still be a resilient people having times like that. In fact, I think that um, not judging ourselves for having hard days or weeks or whatever it may be, but not judging is how you prevent yourself from going deep in the rabbit hole of anxiety and, and despair and really to be able to just uh, have compassion for why you are, you know, having a hard time, that's actually the springboard for being able to do other things. So I highly recommend um, not judging yourself for, you know, for anything, (laughs) but certainly for struggling in this time. A second quick idea, maybe a little more practical is that that actually, you know, goes with the first one is when you're thinking, listen to your self talk and bring an editing pen to add in things like, you know, this is how I'm feeling right now, to change what feels like a fact, I'm not doing this right, or I'm not ever going to be able to, you know, clean my house or, you know, jumpstart my career or, you know, be warmer to my family, whatever it may be. Bring in an editing pen to say, this is how I'm feeling right now, or I'm having this feeling right now. I'm having the feeling like, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to do the things I need to do. That's a feeling. It's not a fact. It's a feeling, true feeling that you're having, but it's a right now thing. It's not a forever thing. An accompanying strategy is to schedule worry time or grief time to give yourself a little bit of a break from the multitasking of intense fears with anything else you have to do and finding a time where it's, you know, at three o'clock, you're going to fact check, listen to your worry and fact check it or, you know, be a compassionate companion to you in your grief um, and so that you're not trying to do two things at once. Um, and that should help some to give, you know, give you a sense that you're more productive and getting things done. Known, I'm wishing you the very best for the next 200 episodes. Lots of love to everybody.